I V M. We're Team Splano. Welcome to an all-new episode of Press Decode, a weekly podcast where we take Splano's mission to declutter the news one step further. Check out our newsletter for more stories, and we've got a one-month free trial for you in the show notes. So definitely check it out. But for now, it's time to sit back, relax, and don't let the news give you the blues. I'm Sarah, your host for the day, and today I have with me both Prafulla and Vakta. As always, we have three segments for you. In our big story, we're looking at the sorry state of mental health in our armed forces. For the food for thought segment, we're talking about a lawsuit where a couple just really, really wants a grandchild. And then in our final segment, we will be roasting and toasting our fave and least fave items. So on to our big story for the week. Like I said, we're going to look at the alarming trend of very poor mental health and trauma management in the armed forces. So recent government data revealed that in the central armed forces, which is essentially arms like the CISF, BSF, CRPF, etc., there have been 25 cases of fratricide only between 2019 and 2021, whereas there have been 345 cases of death by suicide between 2017 and 2019. As for the tri-services, there have been around 950 deaths by suicide between 2010 and 2021. And earlier this year, uh, in March, two retired CRPF officials also filed a PIL in the Supreme Court. They sought the urgent rectification of the traditional ideas and, you know, the focus on bravery and physical fitness in the armed forces, which now we've come to realize is often at the expense of mental wellness. They drew a correlation between the mental health of armed police personnel in the conflict zone and contended that it led up to high incidence of death by suicide and fratricide. And uh, in case you're wondering what fratricide is, it's defined in military terminology as the accidental or uh, deliberate killing of a trooper or troopers by fellow trooper and troopers. Now, for I know it doesn't make a lot of sense, but when you look at it, it is more often than not when subordinates kill their superiors as a means of expressing their pent-up frustrations and hence then it again points to poor mental health wellness Ah. in the forces okay okay which is why it becomes an important factor as opposed to just looking at suicide so the petitioners uh, had stated that the union government ought to periodically carry out specific mental health assessments of all their personnel so as to better the situation at hand so to say Another study that was conducted by a defense think tank and was released in January 2021 showed that more than half of the 13 lakh strong Indian army was under severe stress. More than half, which is insane. And currently the situation is understood to be so bad that the country is losing more soldiers to suicide, fratricide and other untoward incidents than to enemy action on the borders. I have a doubt about that particular study from January 2021. It was, was it the one that was done by IDSA? No, no, no. This is the one by USI. Okay, cool. And the army's response back then, also when the USI study was released, was that the mm. survey sample was too minuscule to reach such far-reaching conclusions. And in the past, the defense ministry has gone as far as to attribute the deaths of their own personnel to family or land-related disputes alone being operative. How do they make these assessments alone? Ah, kar liya tumne. Study kar liya. 
सारे थर्टीन लैक स्ट्रॉन्ग पूरा इंडियन आर्मी का तुम्हें पता है कि एवरीबडी वेंट थ्रू लैंड और फैमिली रिलेटेड डिस्प्यूट अदरवाइज इट इज टू मिनिस्क्यूल and you know to make it worse i was going to put in numbers but it just gets too depressing i will leave the numbers at this the losses that we've had in the armed forces over 900 in the tri services nearly 1200 in paramilitary these amount to almost 5% of the total strength of our armed forces wow yeah that is how many of our soldiers are dying by suicide but you know then it got us thinking obviously why are these soldiers dying by suicide at such alarming rates obviously stress is built into the job of a military man they have extended work hours with little to no sleep and then they posted at borders and in you know less than ideal conditions but also when they're withdrawn from borders to offer law and order services right sometimes it is for essential purposes like an election or a rally other times it's for a parade and because then these withdrawals get extended for so long the frustration grows because once you are deployed for so long you don't get to advance further in your career as a military man and mm. yeah so like and promotion related also promotion related yeah and from what i read apparently there is a general lack of opportunities if you are starting at like the soldier level yeah a soldier's mm. level a lower level than you know if you gave an exam and entered or something so especially people on the lower tiers they have said you know we don't see our careers going anywhere mm. also this important to know like so especially with the soldiers as opposed to the officers mm-hmm. the amount of time that they spend in the services is much lesser right so but they don't much get a lot of employment post after yeah correct so even mm. post retirement it's a lot of stress because I mean have you seen the economy right mm. yeah and that brings me to like moving away from like economic stress while you're on the job say if you're posted on the border and you have to watch your coworkers and friends get injured or die and then the army is infamous for largely you know letting these issues go unaddressed in the sense that they don't really i didn't see a lot about these officers getting mental health support or counseling support mm. in that sense and i found out recently about this thing called the sahayak system or the orderly system and this is a remnant i learned of the colonial era that has stayed on stubbornly in our forces and these sahayaks they are supposed to protect officers and maintain the officers weapons and generally lend a hand during times of war this is how one website put it the role of the sahayak is to provide a cup of water or tea and to take care of the equipment of the officer because the officer in question would be busy planning the war so th- basically th- they treated like errand boys and it's gotten worse now because now that most officers really don't have to plan a war these sahayaks get uh, enlisted in tasks such as walking the dog babysitting driving the kids to school and back the officers that they're assigned to often the officers are deployed in a different posting and these sahayak stay with the family which is against the rules so they're basically errand boys drivers some people wash these people's clothes and this is all they actually have a list of tasks that sahayaks are not supposed to do opposed to what the sahayaks can be assigned to 
and every single sahayak that this article in the quint spoke to said that they were being assigned the menial jobs that the list specifically says they should not be and to top it all off obviously careers are stagnant to top it all off they don't even have a physical training to i think to bring it up here i think what happens more often than not especially mm-hmm. right now is especially with families i've seen they tend to forget that they are also soldiers right that that basic understanding of that they are also soldiers mm. would change so much because again like playing the devil's advocate i see where the system came from but it is not where it is it shouldn't be the same if you want to have it in the modern day right it is not wartime crisis right now so correct the way it's used is that's where it gets lowest like you tend to forget that they're soldiers as mm. well yeah and i think this also is very systematic in the sense that these uh, sahayaks don't even have physical training every day like other officers would and i was thinking about how these sahayaks they don't have really a grievance redressal system in place because the it is so ingrained in the system mm. but it's not only them it's also higher up officers right who under the powers that be only get like trickle down communication or a broken chain of grieve grievance redressal or you know i've read anecdotes where you know they said the higher ups dismissed any issues or challenges that they were facing maybe mentally because you know it's the nature of the job since you are in the army and one thing that i found most disturbing i think was that any officers that are injured in clashes or law and order situations are dismissed as domestic issues by their superiors so that they can be denied disability benefits what Yeah, we no. Are we sure about this? Because there is categorization, and then your pension changes. Mm, right. I'm not too sure. So this was again anecdotal. Uh, in the quint, I didn't find too much concrete. No, but this could be this could be like a you know the way you get back. So say in this exactly this right. in, entire grievance redressal sort of system when you don't have a system for your grievance, and it say mm. it likely comes out in subordination. You know, mm. with your officer that you're assigned to, that officer is going to get you know is going to give it back to you by you know letting you go and dubbing it as domestic issues so that you don't Correct. get disability. So it's I mean it I think it's that rather than being a trend. Right. Okay. Fair. Right. that sort of kind of makes sense yeah that makes sense because i did not find a lot of like concrete data on this but i did read a couple of uh, they said it was first hand accounts there was mm-hmm. one in the quint mm-hmm. and then there were a couple others uh, here and there but again i mean even if it is a one off i don't think it's just one person in the entire army system that is suffering like this right correct yeah no so wait in the causes what have we come down to we have i think everything that all the commissions and everything that all the research think tanks everybody just brings it down to work stress right yeah. which could be anything and it hmm. could be it could be personal it could be like related to your officer your senior officer it could be related to your working conditions it could be it could be anything it could be literally anything and it all like comes down to where how much does the government care for your mental state you know obviously the kind of stress that is experienced by armed forces working in like conflict zones and you know in harsh weather conditions it's it's something that civilians like we can't even begin to understand you know that that kind of stress so much for a government that monetizes military action 
Yeah. Okay. No. Man, I'm, I'm gains out. <laughs> yeah. I know you. I want to. I just had yes, to. I'm sorry. Yes, but but it's been like throughout. It's it, the problem hasn't solved over the years. I'm not just going to blame this particular government. Maybe they should really no, do no. some across the governments. Yes. Across the governments, it has been a very strong political. But maybe this one should do something about it, right? Because they love the military mm-hmm. so much. I mean, I'm saying successive political governments have loved the military so much. On the outset, oh, and still remain mm. not done. So I'm not blaming just a certain <laughs> government. <laughs> okay, cool, fine. No, but you know, in this in this experience, in this like the kind of harsh experience, I only learned yesterday, and that mm-hmm. also thanks to Sarah, that the term shell shock was coined by soldiers themselves around the time of the World War One, by when it was a huge military problem because soldiers were experiencing symptoms of fatigue and tremors and confusion nightmares impaired sight and hearing and which basically resembled the diagnosis of the more modern diagnosis of post traumatic stress disorder PTSD and at the time of the world war 1 though i mean when doctors were already overwhelmed with injured soldiers they didn't know how to deal with someone who had no visible injuries you know they wouldn't understand why these soldiers are deserting their force or you know not following orders because they just didn't get it and many of these soldiers were tried and executed for deserting the army exactly they were court martialed in term on uh, charges of cowardice yeah and their their uh, folks like their kin didn't even get like pension and stuff obviously because they exactly. were court martialed but the matter has been raised in parliament and several governments have tried to address the issue which is including stuff like sensitizing military leaders having a pool of you know counselors improving rations and clothing incorporating a better and liberal leave policy and having accommodation for married folks oh thank you very much which is all great i mean i think it's the bare minimum but it's still not enough to make a difference to the number of suicides yet add to that the stigma of mental health disorders i mean even in regular life mental health disorders are viewed as something that you would you know they're swept under the rug <laughs> but in a workspace where you have to be brave and courageous and strong all the time the stigma of being viewed as weak must be affecting nearly everyone and no wonder like half the force is under stress so I, in that respect like protecting mental health the efforts of protecting mental health have to be even more rigorous precisely right like the job as we've seen is fraught with a variety of stressors and let's be real if nothing else india can't be safe if its troops are stressed and raghu raman in the vio summed up this need for like better mental health wellness in the armed forces quite directly actually if we want a humane and moral army then we need humane and moral soldiers not cold blooded mechanical killers because it is only the latter who can kill without a part of them dying as well oh my god that's a great quote yeah when your job calls for this at least have it done the best way possible i suppose on that note we come to the end of our first segment we will be right back after a short break you're listening to press decode on the ivm podcast network Hello and welcome back to Press Decode on the IVM Podcast Network. We're Team Splainer, and in today's Food for Thought segment, we are taking a swift U-turn from everything heavy that we spoke about and going to by far the most bizarre story I've seen over the past week. 
in case you missed it on the internet thanks to like a flurry of memes or like the news sources in the most bizarre news that will make you go wtf since i can't that is curse. a very long build up <laughs> <laughs> since i can't curse an uttarakhand couple is suing their son and his wife for failing to give them a grandchild after 6 years of marriage nice that's our only response okay nice Nice indeed. <laughs> Sanjeev and Sadhna Prasad claim that they used their entire life savings for their son, right from paying for his pilot's training in the US to supporting him when he didn't have a job during recession to a lavish wedding for him. They've put numbers to the figures: about sixty-five thousand dollars on just pilot training to a wedding in a five-star hotel to a luxury car that was gifted to them, which was worth eighty thousand dollars as a wedding gift. They say. My son has been married for 6 years but they are still not planning a baby. At least if we have a grandchild to spend some time with, our pain will be bearable. I apologize for my troll voice. I can't help it. Like I can't do these quotes with a straight voice. Like I saw y'all giggle. I apologize. But going back to their amazing quote, I have so many questions because he speaks about pain becoming bearable like I was very confused as to what the said pain was. Turns out the pain is straight out of the Bhagwan handbook. <laughs> Yet another quote. <laughs> My son and daughter-in-law are living in two separate cities because of their jobs, causing us immense pain. We treated our daughter-in-law like our own daughter. Despite that, she seldom stays with us, adding to our sufferings. We even told her that if she is worried about taking care of the child due to her job, she could give the baby to us so that we could look after his upbringing <laughs> we are hardly left with any money because we spent everything on our son there asked for said pain a compensation worth a uh, $650,000 which is around 5 crore rupees or a grandchild within the year yes there is a time limit to said us and if you're still interested in the math behind the number they claim they spent close to 2.5 crores on bringing their son up since birth and the remaining 2.5 crores is for damages caused by said mental distress you'd think the number is sort of nicely adjusted for inflation no <laughs> like how old is this son 30 years 35 years mm. at best kafi inflation anyway the aspiring i call them aspiring grandparents <laughs> they're not yet there Uh, their counsel calls this a first of its kind case, and if nothing, I'd have to give him that. I have never heard of something like this. I mean, it's unreal, right? As time passes by in this country, it's so incredibly hard to tell whether headlines are from like <laughs> reputed sources or straight up from the Onion <laughs> or the Kanda. Correct, Kanda. <laughs> Indian represent. <laughs> no, but speaking of like. headlines that should have only stayed in the onion there is one more it's kind of on the same spectrum but like this person did a complete 180 this is a whole movement of people who wish they weren't born i mean there's plenty of those on the internet nothing special but the kicker here is that they resent their parents for not taking their consent before they were even born there is a mumbai man rafael samuel who decided he would sue his parents for giving birth to him and According to a 2019 article, he had been on the hunt for lawyers to represent him for about six years, 
and obviously no lawyer w- wanted to take up his case what is funnier still is that both his parents are lawyers <laughs> <laughs> i would think that he would in 6 years he would himself study law and go fight his own case <laughs> i mean might as well with all the time he spent looking for one and uh, i read this i think in the bbc he said he told his mother over breakfast that he would sue her for giving birth to him and uh, his mother said welcomed the decision and she said okay i will destroy you in court <laughs> so except he never um, got to court yeah I assume he'll get a beat down when he does. Also, uh, there's a whole movement. He has a Facebook page, and there's a bunch of other pages and Reddits and whatnot. And this is an actual school of thought called anti-natalism, and this is how its biggest proponent describes it: Is life worth continuing? Yes, because death is bad. Is life worth starting? No. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> all this thought and philosophy they did not think through the basic of how was he supposed to give consent consent yeah like, that you spent so much time and thought in developing a school of thought so to say no it's a school <laughs> of thought that basically it builds the case for being lazy because what's the other stuff that they argue they argue that people should be paid to live and be maintained for the rest of their life since they were not asked to be born and for this very reason they owe nothing to their parents <laughs> and so unless parents have the wherewithal to finance the lifetime of their child of their offsprings they should not have the right to give birth oh wagda can i come in here uh, the uh, dude i was talking about he has said oh you know we are born without consent and then they send us to school and then they send us to work this is tantamount to kidnapping and slavery Oh uh, you said uh, Mr Samuel right yes <laughs> my metaverse of madness is going to be Mr Samuel being born to the prasads from uttarakhand <laughs> can you imagine can you imagine you owe a child but bro i owe you nothing i wasn't supposed to be born to begin with <laughs> <laughs> oh i'd pay to see this but think about it no like it's such a good movement you don't have to i'd like to be maintained for life personally <laughs> but uh, legally and sadly there is no ground for it i mean samuel never got to court because no lawyer fought for him and on the total contrary the law imposes duties on folks to maintain their parents under the maintenance of parents and senior citizens act 2007 i think it's 2007 but that is if they are unable to provide for themselves so unless uncle ji and auntie ji sorry the aspiring grandparents can <laughs> prove it they're not going to get anything from their offspring yeah. and the thing is that they filed this lawsuit on grounds of mental harassment i mean there could easily be a counter lawsuit you know against the parents there's no right to demand a grandchild and i'm hoping that the court sees this and throws the lawsuit out the purpose of which i uh, see like how does this play out in court like it will be thrown out of court <laughs> let's hope but okay the wild chance like what are they going to say so this is why this is why you live in india mujhe pota chahiye and you know what is what's the funniest they say they say what did uh, they say that oh we uh, We spend sixty five thousand on your pilot training, on a wedding in the five star, and on a luxury car, and you you'll just mix up mix up all of this, and then you suddenly you have you just put it all in a room, and then you'll have a baby come out of it. Like what is that? I mean, this is not some Powerpuff Girls <laughs> recipe. 
when we're going to this, they said that they're now running out of money. Okay, so on the one hand, they're like, listen, we are in financial distress because of the amount of money we spent. On the other hand, they're offering to say we will bring up the child just give birth. Oh yeah, where are you getting the money for that, sir and ma'am? <gasps> Valid. Should I be a lawyer now? <laughs> yes, but don't do that to yourself. <laughs> you know what? Uh, I think the matter will be heard if at all. But it's striking that these people got to where they are, took it to court. On despite the fact that there is no basis to the claim, such a solid claim. You know, in the entire society, everyone has a grandchild now. They're the only ones without one. Right. Ask. Sorry, Ment- mental distress. I forgot. No, but it is concerning that these people got to the point they are, and maybe it is the nature of our laws, because significant intends to uphold status quo, and by extension, I think it upholds patriarchy and. "Quote unquote traditional family structure, right? Wagda told us this yesterday that uh, ancestral property cannot be willed away and must stay in the family. So, how much more status quo can the law get? Like, it is in the law that a father does not have a choice to exclude his son from the possession of his ancestral properties. Yeah, I guess like every or daughter, by the way, since two thousand five. Since two thousand. Since two thousand five. Oh. Yes. W- women were right given, time and age women were given rights to their ancestral properties in 56 and only full and equal rights in 2005 ah and if you're a muslim woman you only get half the share of what your brothers or male relatives get and if you are a christian woman in some communities in kerala you're not getting property at all excuse me <laughs> i did not know that uh, you I thought know. you were sitting in cochin getting some good uh, you know Building up a case of for something, but no. Oh no! This part is just this is disappointing now. <laughs> <laughs> no, but Vagda, please come in if you can think of anything more. But I could come up with dowry, custody cases, and you know, consent in a marriage as gender biases that in family law that are heavily influenced by patriarchal, you know, archetypes. I read that uh, I think the World Bank said that even though dowry is outlawed, ninety-five percent of weddings still will have dowry been. It's been only given. gift, beta. It is only gift. <laughs> it's all for you only. That's why Uttarakhand couple got the car. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But if you're a Kerala-ite uh, Christian woman, you will be told, "Arey, this is your gift, beta. This is your ancestral property, and go." That is all they're being told. I did not need this information. I put an end to this segment. <laughs> On that note, we come to the end of this segment. We will be right back after a short break. You're listening to Press Decode and the IVM Podcast Network. Welcome back to Press Decode and the IVM Podcast Network. It's time for our final segment this week, Roast or Toast, and I'm finally back home. <laughs> I do have a least fave item after a very very long time. It's an absolute no-brainer of an item, but turns out India has deadly roads. Shocker. But what's new, however, is that we have a global ranking to confirm our most jaded suspicions. According to a new study, we have the fifth most unsafe roads in the world. This rating is based on five factors: WHO's road traffic data, the maximum speed limit, use of seat belt, driver's blood alcohol concentration limit and alcohol related deaths 
and in peak desi behavior since i'm disappointed i'm going to tell you who else is on the bottom end of this list kyunki acha lagta hai ki other people are also having it bad <laughs> turns out we're followed by south africa thailand the us and argentina oh dude thailand so this friend of mine had gone to thailand with uh, on her own and she met someone there who lived in paris and neither of them had international driving licenses so they were supposed to go somewhere and uh, they were taking a car or something and the guy who was renting them the car asked both of these people that you know where are you from do you know how to drive and the lady from france was like yeah i know how to drive and he's like but where are you from and she's like i'm from france and he's like no you can't drive here and then he asked my friend where are you from she's like i'm from india ha 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 here you take the car <laughs> <laughs> skills you have to have skills for driving in delhi in uh, in india again staying on topic but it's funny enough so apparently in dubai the driving test is really really hard hmm. so anecdotal from a friend but someone she knows was a driving instructor in india Oh. and failed the driving test in dubai 11 times oh my god <laughs> 11 times again anecdotal so take it with a pinch of salt but when i tell you i could not stop laughing for half a day <laughs> <laughs> truly wow okay let us uh, pivot a little because i have yet another contribution to rich people doing dumb things um, <laughs> you come with this list every time <laughs> i'm impressed at the dedication <laughs> this is just what catches my eye the most these days i guess i'm so in tune with it now so the executives the director and the deputy director at the unops the office for project services which is responsible for logistics and other operational services the un needs gave away their entire investment portfolio which is about 6 million dollars to this british businessman after the director met him at a fundraiser at a single party and they gave him their entire investment portfolio how this is possible the agency stockpiled a lot of money because they received payments from different countries where they provided services and then they decided to loan it out like an investment bank and make profit which for the un is i don't know how this went under the radar for so long so they gave this guy like about 60 million dollars and then later loaned out 3 million more to his daughter for this conservation project that she headed for oceans what happened next is this dude used the money to pay off his business loans about 20 million and now the unops has that much amount 20 million in bad debt and they have to somehow make it up now because they've been found out and the director has been asked to resign by the secretary general oh wow to top it all off and this is i think like two a week or so ago the director asked her to step down and there was this whole drama the new york times has like a lumber read on it and to top it all off this daughter of the businessman used this 3 million to produce a pop song about saving the oceans and she did not pay the singer what did oh she use God. it for I have no clue and this singer also apparently was told oh you know it's for a fundraiser and it's for charity so this person also did not ask for the money for so long until the new york times came, came knocking my god <laughs> wow i like this trifola segment <laughs> yeah yeah i really dig it <laughs> what new scam happened in the last week 
let's have that <laughs> okay cool i am here i'm back obviously with a fave item now do you guys recall that the city of gaya now has an international airport of its own yes oh yeah <laughs> and now that it does that the international air transport association gave it its own international airport code which was come on tell me you know it <laughs> i know it g a y gay gay it was my fave item of the week a few months ago of course it was so obviously He the people was collective but you just called dibs earlier than us <laughs> that's yes. what happened yes okay so it was my fave item <laughs> so obviously people of gaya are really upset don't joke about this guys it's not fair okay nobody is giving their city the respect it deserves after all it was the place where lord buddha once attained enlightenment they tried to appeal against the iata's decision but the association refused to change the code unless there was a justifiable reason primarily concerning air safety which there wasn't obviously so now what have they done they're changing the name of their city <laughs> by adding a g to it what it's soon going to be gaya g so the equivalent of calling your chacha chacha g <laughs> i don't know if you've ever heard of this happening anywhere else in the world like you change the name of your city to like imagine delhi ji chochi ji faridabad ji by the way guys we've taken the internet a little too far <laughs> and we're going to give context of what this chochi chochi that vagda keeps saying is <laughs> it's a tweet it's a glorious tweet i'm going to link it in the show notes does the gaya civic body have literally nothing else to do ho gaya swachh bharat let me go see gaya how clean it is I mean, all they care about is changing the name of their city to Gaya G. सारा important काम दुनिया का तो हम ही कर रहे हैं. Gaya सिर्फ body को कोई काम नहीं है. And that was our show this week. Thank you so much for joining us on Fresh Decode. You can catch us every Thursday on the IVM Podcast Network. And guys, please remember, don't let the news give you the blues. 